Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian, Season 3, Episode 2. I am so over the moon to be able to say that I spoke to Dory Greenspan, as I did in this episode today, and it was wonderful. Oh my god, I had the best time, and I feel like I had won the lottery. It was just one of the greatest talks I've ever had with anybody in my life. You kind of had that feeling like you imagine if you get to meet God. Meeting uh, Dory was like that. She's one of my baking heroes, and I've always really admired her writing and her ability to just have such great uh, voice in her writing and her her, uh, recipes. And she's just, she's a celebrity for good reason in the cooking community because she's just so charming and she brings so much of herself to what she does. And her work is magnificent. Um, Her cookbooks are all incredible. Her online publications are incredible. Her work uh, for newspapers and magazines is incredible. So um, getting to talk to her was just a treat. Um, She has a new book that's coming out, uh, Baking with Dory, uh, Sweet, Salty, and Simple. I've had the pleasure of getting to sample uh, recipes from it, and everything in it is 100% magnificent. So um, I do recommend you get it uh, now or pre- for pre-sale. Um, but her name is synonymous with baking and she's a renowned author of 13 cookbooks and five James Beard awards. Um, Dory writes simple and easy recipes that are accessible with ingredients at every grocery store. Beginners can use m- most of the techniques in her books. And uh, of course, you know, she has a lot of wonderful innovation to her um, recipes. Um, her world uh, piece cookies are legendary, and uh, much of her cakes, pies, tarts are just you know incredible. And I recommend uh, this baking book very much, too, um, as well as her the rest of her books. I'm going to go ahead and go on to the conversation. I had such a great time talking with her, and I'm sure you're going to love this uh, interview as much as I love doing it. So on we go. Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. Today, I'm very honored to be talking to the wonderful Dory Greenspan. We're talking with her about her newest book, Baking with Dory, Sweet, Salty, and Simple. Welcome, Dory. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to have you here. Like I said earlier, I I feel like I've won the lottery. I feel so very blessed. So thank you. Now, I want to go with a question you probably get a lot because it's in your bio and I'm just interested in hearing the story and I think the listeners will be too. Um, You wrote that you you burned down or nearly burned down your your parents' kitchen when you were 12 and you weren't allowed to cook again until later in your life. Can you tell us about that story? Yeah, I did that. So um, my parents were out. I was with two friends. We were in seventh grade, so I'm thinking we were 12. And we decided to make frozen french fries and i thought french fries oil of yeah. course i mean three of us do we ever look at the back of the instruction the back of the box instruction? no so i put oil up to burn no i didn't put put it up to burn i put it up to boil and i put a lid on the pot because i thought if water boils faster with a lid so would oil i learned the water thing in science class well, when I lifted the lid, the flames were, they were amazing. They were the kinds of flames that like circle the pot and come up. Yeah. And oh my, my God. 
Exactly. Oh, my God. And they, yeah, they kind of were up on top of the cabinets. It was pretty terrible. Somebody was smart enough to say, put the lid back on. Oh. Um, yeah. Which, you know, but so when my parents came home, they found my friends had flown. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> they found me and they found my two brothers and there was a babysitter, but she had been sleeping through all of this, sitting on the front steps of our house with the fire trucks in front of the house and firemen behind us. Essentially, they said, just wait until your parents come home and we tell oh, them. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. My mother cried. Oh. First, she said, first, she said, I'm so glad everyone's OK. Doesn't matter. It's only a kitchen. You know, you're healthy. You're unharmed. That's great. And then she just cried for the rest of the night. Oh, that actually makes it worse. Could you please yell at me instead? <laughs> Um, so yeah, so that was that was my first experience in the kitchen. And then I got married um, when I was 19. I was a college student. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband, Michael had his first job. I was, you know, a student there we I, I had to cook. I had to cook because we had to eat I had to cook because we had no money to go out. Um, and I discovered I loved it. It was really, it was almost immediate. I loved making food. I loved having people around the table. Um, and soon I learned that I loved dessert, that I loved to make dessert, yeah. So it was, um, I burned my parents' kitchen down. My mother cried. I didn't cook or bake, but it wasn't such a long period because it was seven years later that I got married and went into the kitchen and loved it, yeah. Wonderful for us that you did. Um, now you were considering, I find this interesting because I also wish I had, I have like, you know, I wish I had done a different career path sometimes, although I love being a librarian, but um, you gave up a doctorate in gerontology. So that was what uh, made you want to do that. And then how did you go from that to working in a restaurant? Yeah. So I, um, I, I, got a job. I always say it's the job that spoiled me for all other work because it was so fabulous. I got a job in a research center in New York City where it, we, were, we were such a small group that everybody had to do everything. So I learned to write grant proposals. I learned to talk to politicians. I learned to use the Xerox machine. I learned to, you know, <laughs> wrap packages of boxes with packing tape. I mean, we did everything. And um, it was from that job that I went to graduate school in gerontology. And I always say it's the only deadline I didn't meet, the only writing project. I didn't write my dissertation. And when it was time to, and I had, a, I, I had work, I was going to school at night and I was working during the day. And um, I had the kid, Joshua, and it was time for me to go back. And I just didn't want to, I just couldn't. I, it, it just didn't interest me any longer. And Michael said, you know, you love baking. Why don't you try and get a job as a baker? And that was the change. Yeah, I work with a lot of dissertation students and I see that happen a lot. Like the people start out, they're interested in something. And then by the time they're finished, they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> well, well, but I think that those of us who realize that it's not what we want to do, 
are really lucky. And those of us who realize it's not what we want to do and find something that we really want to do are really, really very lucky because it could have just been, I don't want to go back and what am I going to do? Yeah. I mean, I was, I, it is best to find out early on that, you know, because you do ultimately, otherwise you're buried in a job you, you're like not interested in any longer, wishing like, what if, like, what if, you know? What if is a question I ask all the time, but I usually ask it like, what if I added coffee to this recipe? What if I'm a real what ifer? Um, that's a but, good what if. <laughs> that's 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 a better what if than than a regretful one. Yeah. Now, I I noticed I was noting that you have written cookbooks with some of the famous chefs in history, Julia Child, Pierre Hermé. Is that correct? Hermé, yeah. Okay, and then Daniel Balou. Yep. Um, that must have been intimidating to do. What was that like? I mean, I, I just think of like, a, I'd love to be a fly on the wall. That must have been magnificent to do that. It was extraordinary. Um, those three people were, so Julia, Julia's Julia. Yes. Daniel Lou, famous um, French chef who really made his name and his fame in America. And Pierre Hermé, a famous French pastry chef who's, you know, a household name in France, although perhaps not not here. Um, you know, I always say I'm lucky and people say, oh, you know, it's not luck. A lot of it is luck. Um, I was really lucky to work with these, these amazingly talented and, and really smart people. Um, and it was scary. So I, you know, I was the kid in school who never raised her hand because I was too shy but I kind of push myself to say yes, even when I'm really scared. And I was, those, the projects, writing with Danielle, with Pierre and with Julia really frightened me, but I said yes, because I knew that this was going to be, I was going to learn so much doing it. And I find this often with people who are amazingly talented as these three are, were, um, they're so generous. They're so encouraging. They, I, I wanted to do the best job I possibly could, and they wanted to help me do it. They were great teachers. They were great oh. teachers. Ah, oh, that's so amazing. Um, now you're a columnist for the New York Times Magazine, and I've worked in newspapers a bit, so I know what it's like. What is it like working in that unique kind of writing deadlines, time period style? And also, like, what challenges does it give you as a writer? So, I'm, you know, you said you said it was intimidating to work with Julia, you know, Pierre and Danielle Boulou. Um, just saying the New York Times is, right? Yeah, yeah. Those words are, like, big, you know. Yeah, you, you see that, that, you say New York Times, you see the masthead. Um, I... So I'm, I write a column, but it's, it's monthly. So, um, but it is, what's funny, I mean, the deadlines, are, it's funny, you say deadlines, they're funny because it's, it's only once a month, but there seems to be something that has to be done on the column every week. Right. So um, my column is fact-checked as though I were the president of the United States making an announcement. Yep, yep. So, um, 
and that's something that you know I I, I always I, I would love if somebody fact checked everything, um, but that's a hard one because you've now written your column, it's ready to go, you're seeing it in proof, and the fact checker calls and says. You know, you said that street in Paris was cobblestoned. I looked on Google Earth. <laughs> True. Those oh my God. Are, those are Belgian blocks. <laughs> I said, you know, Belgian blocks, not as romantic as cobblestone. And he said, but that's what they are. I wrote around that one. So oh, it's, no. it's really interesting. I'm not, you know, I've, I've been writing my first piece came out in 1983. So it's a long time that I'm writing. Um, and writing for a newspaper is that you're right, is a completely other experience. It's you do your writing by yourself. I mean, you can do reporting things and all, but essentially it's a solitary activity. And then there are so many people. When my proof gets sent around, it's sent to 11 people. So, yeah, it's really, it's another, it's another way of, and I'm grateful to have 11 set of eyes on my work. 11, 11, 11, 22 eyes that are attached to 11 very smart people. Um, Sorry, that's the coffee machine groaning. No, no, that's great. That's fine. I, um, how did you, how did you begin to write? Like where, at what point did you thought, you know, I think I'll do some writing. Like, where did that come in for you? So my husband claims that when he met me and I was a teenager, um, that I said, I wanted to be a writer. I don't remember saying those words and I didn't do anything that would have set me on that path. I wasn't an English major. Um, I didn't write the job that spoiled me for all of the work was a writing job. Aside from packing up boxes and stuff, I wrote. And um, and once again, you know, I really was lucky. I worked with people who encouraged me. I worked with people who saw something and helped me develop it. And it make it makes it makes a huge difference to have someone on your side and to have someone who can help you. And so I really began writing there. And then, and then I got, I, 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 when, when Michael said, well, you know, why don't you be a baker? I got a job as a baker. And when that didn't work out, a friend of mine said, maybe you should write about food. I, it had never occurred to me and it wasn't quite, well, it wasn't at all what it is now. And so it wouldn't have been top of mind but it took a push from someone for me to, to do it. And then I was scared, you know, scared because it wasn't what I did. You know, I did, I wasn't, you know, I hadn't gone to, I didn't have an MFA in creative writing. I didn't have, you know, I wasn't an English major. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, Um, but I did the work. Um, I wanted to ask you, I, 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 cause I've been kind of looking forward to asking this question. Cause I, I loved it in an interview. I saw you in, you were talking at the Google, I believe. And you said that you were, I think, angry with your mother, that you were not born in Paris. <laughs> Before she died, I did forgive her. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I wish I could find it. Somebody just sent me something. I think it was Diana Vreeland who said, um, Something like, um, 
the most important thing is to be born in Paris. After that, everything will fall into place. I'm paraphrasing, but essentially that, that was it. So when, when I went to Paris for the first time, I just, I just fell in love with the city and I felt comfortable in a way that I had never felt before. And I, and I haven't felt that way in any other place. It was like, I, you know, put my foot down and felt at home. And, and returned and said to my mother that she'd made a mistake. She'd had me in Brooklyn. And I'm sure, I was so sure she meant for me to be born in Paris. I've been trying to make up for that ever since. Now you've been living in uh, Connecticut, uh, New York and Paris. How does that affected your cooking and cooking style? Hmm. So I, I'm certainly, I'm certain I, from the start, was influenced by French cooking. and But living in the three places, I think what it affects more than my cooking is my shopping. That the way that, so when I'm in Paris, um, it takes me, you know, take, it takes all morning to shop because you buy your cheese from the cheesemonger. Um, you buy your bread at the, bakery. You might go to an open air market and walk along the stalls and, you know, buy fruit from one person and meat from another. And you might have a special fishmonger that you go to or somebody. For, so it takes, it takes the entire day to shop for, for dinner. And I love that. And I love that. I love that, you know, I get to know the vendors and we get to talk about things. When I go to the cheese shop Twiggy that's actually she's French and that's her name oh, nice. um, <laughs> Twiggy you know will say um she'll have the cheese that she'll know I'll like she'll say no you Michael won't eat this I know but I think you'll like this and this is for Michael it's you know here I'm in Connecticut now um it's stop and shop or the big Y right there, right, you know, right. there, there is there are some specialty shops but it's I think my style of cooking is style is pretty much the same, no matter where I am. But the ingredients change, and I, while I write, you know, I work and develop and write recipes. Most of the time, I cook on a whim, and so if my cooking changes, it's because I have ingredients that are different that I can play with. Now, I was going to ask you um, specifically about the French cooking. I feel like most Americans have a misrepresentation on what French cooking is like. Um, so can you, can you address that maybe a little bit? So, so I think what you're hinting at is that French cooking seems intimidating or right. fancy or fussy or rich or to which I say, no, 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 it's not. It's not. And I feel like I've spent a lot of years writing about French food that isn't fancy, isn't fussy, isn't rich, to try and open that cooking, the pleasures of that cooking, the joy of that cooking to a wider audience. Um, restaurant food can be fancy. Restaurant food can be right. fancy. But French home cooks are so practical that we have, we have so much to learn from how French people cook at home. 
they are really practical. Their dishes are very homey. They know how to like squeeze the last bit of flavor out of something. They're thrifty cooks. It's just the opposite of the impression that so many of us have of French cooking. Now, in your new cookbook, um, Baking with Dory, Sweet, Salty, and Simple, you write, I'm happiest with a recipe that looks familiar, harbors something unexpected. And from the rest of the cookbook, it looks like you seem to want to live up to that. Can we talk about the influences of that idea on your cookbook? So I, I feel like I, if, I, if I were to look back at my cooking and baking, um, I, everything I do seems to have gotten simpler and simpler and simpler, particularly my baking. So when I was first learning how to bake, I, if it wasn't hard, I didn't want to make it. If it wasn't complicated, I didn't want to make it because I was teaching myself how to do this. Now I want, I want things to be simple, but I want them to really be flavorful. And I find that you know, if you're cooking simply, if you're baking simply, but really in baking, it's very important. It's, you need to get the most out of each ingredient. Um, and so I, you know, baking, baking is kind of classic. I mean, if I say chocolate chip cookie, you know what I'm talking about. If right. I say pancake, you know. So for me, the fun is to say chocolate chip cookie to you and have you say, you didn't tell me there were poppy seeds in this or wait, is that all spice I taste? So something where you think you know what you've got, you think you've had it a thousand times and there's that pow moment that, wow, this tastes different. Um, I did, so one of, one of the cookies that... Um, it seems to have taken on a life of its own, um, is my world peace cookie. And um, I recently played with it. I said, I got the recipe. Actually, was, the original recipe was from Pierre Hermé. I got it over 20 years ago and I was never gonna change it. And I was asked to do a cookie for um, Charlotte Druckmann's book, Women on Food. And I thought, okay, I can't change it. I can't, okay, I will. And I added ingredients that I felt really talked about um, what was, what was you know, one, some of the great characteristics of women. And I put cocoa nibs in there for strength. And I Ooh. put dried strawberries in there for like pizzazz. And I ended up putting um, pink peppercorns in. Ooh, nice. For surprise. For surprise. And it's that kind of thing. It's one little ingredient that can take something that you think you know and make you stop and really think about it and make your eyes open and say, oh, this is new. Like using, um, I, I, in, in, in Baking with Dory, I've got um, Christmas cookies that have... Um, star anise in them. And star anise is a flavor that you might know from Asian cuisine. It's often paired with beef. And the idea of making it the star of a cookie, um, it changes everything that you think about, both the spice and the and a cookie. I love doing that. I, that sounds wonderful. I mean, I, I like playing with stuff too. 
it's so fun to try something new and it, when it's a success, it's like, oh, this is kind of a surprise. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. From a writing point of view, is it difficult to make a cookbook with a feature of adaptability? Was that kind of tough in the writing process? So, so it took me, you know, it, it took me years to forgive my mother for not having me in Paris. It took me more years to realize that that comes naturally to me, that I, so when, when I didn't go back to my doctorate or my my work, I um, I got a job in a bakery and it went a restaurant as a baker and I got fired a month later and I got fired because I took their signature cake and changed the ingredients and I didn't tell them. I don't think it would have mattered if I had told them, but, and I sent the cake out and it wasn't what anybody expected. And that was a case of a surprise wasn't a good one. And I got fired and I got fired for creative insubordination. Oh my God. <laughs> now, now, all these years later, I think this is fabulous. This is a, this is, you know, this is like a badge of honor. And so when I think back, I realized that from my very beginnings as a baker, I was playing around. Um, which is at the end of many of my recipes, I have a little section called playing around and it gives you the opportunity to swap ingredients, to change flavors, to change the shape of something, to rethink it. And so that was, that was me. Um, and I got punished for it when I didn't realize that it was really a good quality. And so no, that's not hard for me. And I also take it as I love being able to provide these alternatives and this encouragement to take my recipes and play around with them because, because I think it helps people be bakers. Um, it loosens up baking the way French food has a reputation of being you know, intimidating. I think there are people who are, are a little afraid of baking. And I think- Oh yeah, me. <laughs> oh, no, oh, come on. You know, when you can rough up the edges a bit, when you can expand the possibilities, then I think people are able to see baking as something that's not as, not so rigid and encourages them to bake. Yeah, because it's not, I get daunted by the classics and I'm I'm still terrified to even try croissants. And so I, yeah. one of these days I'm going to tackle, I'm going to tackle that mountain, but you know, it's going to, it's going to be a while. What's the, what's the worst thing that could happen? You'd have a flat croissant. Yeah, that's true. Big deal. Yeah. I like, it's I like the term that you use the creative and subordination. What a wonderful title. That's almost worthy of a tattoo or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, wait, what? What, what would the noun of it be? I'm a creative insubordinate? No. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a, 
Yeah. Maybe just a t-shirt. Yeah. I, I, that sounds <laughs> I, good branding. I like it. Um, you've won five James Beard awards and you're inducted into the who's who of food and beverage in America, as well as you've been awarded with the order of agricultural merit from the French government for your outstanding writing in the foods of that country. And you've won lots of other awards looking back over all these things, these, these, uh, accolades you've received when you ever, when you were younger, did you ever think you would get here where you're at now? No. I mean, who would have thunk? Who would have, I don't, no, no. It would have been impossible for me. Remember I said, I'm the one who didn't raise my hand in class. Um, it just seems like, no, there's no way that I could have imagined this. And actually, you know, it's funny when, when I, when I tried to get a job as a baker, um, I was told that I couldn't get a job because I was a woman. And then when I got a chance to write for a magazine, I wrote for Food and Wine magazine was my first story. Um, and I told people, I'm writing about food. Most people looked at me and said, what does that mean? Because it wasn't, it wasn't sexy. It wasn't glamorous. Food was not, um, we didn't think about food the way we do now. We didn't think about the people who make food the same way we think about them now. Um, so even if I thought I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to win awards, I can't imagine that would ever, you know, it, in a way, it it would it would have been impossible to think about that, but I didn't as just as a as a human as me. I never, never. I um I'm glad it's you amazing. glad you did. It's Sorry? amazing. Thank you. Thank you. So you're a very accomplished and busy writer, but I was going to ask you. I know from looking at your social media that you do read a lot of other people. So do you want to talk about any any other fighter? food writers that you're reading or the blogs that you pursue? Well, so I, um, I read, so I read a lot of cookbooks. I yeah. don't, when I'm working on a book, I, when I'm working on a book, I don't cook from other people's books, but I love cooking from other people's recipes. So there are books that I love. I love, um, Joanne Chang's baking books, but I also love her book, Myers and Chang. Um, I just did, so I, I recently started a newsletter, um, XOXO Dory, and today I just posted a recipe from Zoe Francois' book, Zoe Bakes. Um, I love her stuff. Wait, I'm, looking, I'm looking up because I'm looking at my cookbook shelf. Um, I have all the Otolenge books and he just opened a whole new pantry for me. I mean, as I think he did for many, many people. I think we're using spices that he helped us get comfortable with. Um, I read a lot of memoir and it's often not food memoir, but I just finished, oh, it, I, I finished a book that made me laugh out loud. I woke Michael up one night and said, here, let me read this to you. And it also made me cry. It was a wonderful book. It's called Stuffed, and it's by Patricia Volk, B-O-L-K. Um, I I try. I wish I I I I, I try reading like 
every night and I fall asleep. But, Me too. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I just finished reading um, The Madness of Crowds, which has nothing to do with food, except that there are so many mentions of food in it. Um, Louise Penny's actually number one best-selling book. Um, she has a lovely way of talking about food. There, it's a it's a novel. It's her seventeenth with a, a like a repertory company of characters in a small village that she created in Canada. And there's always food in it. And I had the chance to interview her, and I said, "Why? Why the food? It's just a mention here and a mention there." And, and she said. It's food that brings people together. She said, when I talk about food, I know that I'm bringing readers further into the story. And I thought that was so interesting. Like that. So I was going to ask you, what would be your best advice for somebody who's starting out in baking and they're daunted by it? Bake. 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 So I think that baking is actually easier than cooking. I think that if you have a good recipe, then your job as a beginning baker is to follow the recipe. And that you can do that, anybody can do that, right? So you get your ingredients out, read the recipe all the way through at least once, I'd say twice, and work step by step cooking, there are so many judgment calls. There are so many, you're seasoning to taste. You may not know what these seasonings taste like or how much you like or what. Baking, if you're starting with a good recipe, is really a much easier craft. And I don't think, like, you know, you were saying that maybe one day you'll tackle croissant. And I said, you know, what's the worst it could be? So it'll be buttery dough, you know, baked buttery dough, flat, or who knows, <laughs> who knows what will happen in the oven. But for the most part, in baking, there aren't, is this fair to say, am I exaggerating or under-exaggerating? There aren't all that many failures. You can have, it can sink, a cake can sink a little bit. A cookie might be a little flat. You might bake but mostly they taste good and mostly they'll taste great with ice cream. So yep, it's, true. Well, it's like dive in if you want to do it. Baking's an extracurricular activity. You don't have to bake to live. Right. But when you, you know, if you want to bake, don't let anything stop you. I find baking, I find baking a pleasure. I find everything that you do in baking, the way you use ingredients, the way you transform them, the way you touch them. It's so satisfying. Um, and then you get to share what you've baked because even I don't bake just for myself. So it's yeah. a sharing, it's a sharing activity. Oh, absolutely. It's the best part about it. Watching people that you love or, or enjoy trying something that you've made and enjoying it. It's just, it's the best feeling in the world. I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, fall is coming up. Are you looking forward to any seasonal recipes for baking or cooking? So I've already bought apples at the farm stand. Nice. Okay. I haven't made my first apple pie yet, but I have made a crisp. Um, this is, this. I mean, this is baker's paradise time. 
this oh, is yeah. really yeah this is really when it all it all starts um apples pears um, i just did a tart with sweet potatoes Ooh, um, that sounds yeah. really good yeah, so I've, been, what? I've been cooking apples and pies and crisps with pumpkin and you know i never thought that and i'm not talking about pureed but like chunks of pumpkin I never mm -hmm. thought that with apple would be good. It's one of the best things I've ever like eaten. I was so en enraptured by it. This this doesn't surprise me. Um, I think that you know pumpkin has well pumpkin can take so many other flavors. Yeah. Right, and it, and the texture when it cooks is so nice, and the apple juice is good. That's a great combination. Yeah, it's so, got this unctuousness to it, and when combined with the tartness of the apple, it's just magical. Love that. Um, I'm looking, I'm trying to find a picture. Uh, well, you can't see it, but so in the in the new book, I have some savory baking as well as um, sweet. And one of the things I've got is a galette. So it's, Ooh, yeah. uh, well, galettes are like the greatest thing for people who are like just starting in pie making and might be a little nervous because they're meant to be just higgledy piggledy and rough around the edges. And so it's a galette with potatoes and the the possibility of slipping slices of apple into Ooh. the rounds of yeah. So that's, that's, a, that's great for this time mushroom soon. Mm. It's a it's a it's this is really a good cooking and baking time. Yeah, it's my favorite season for that. I love it. Well, Dory, thank you for being on the podcast. I've really had such a great time talking to you and I feel so blessed to be able to talk to you. Thank you so much for being with, here with me. It's so lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much. And let me know when you bake those croissants. I want to hear from you. I will. I will. I will do that. I will okay. send you pictures. Please. I would love that. Okay. Thank you very much. That was my conversation with Dory Greenspan, and I'm still floating on air after getting a chance to talk to her. It was truly wonderful, and it was one of the highlights of my entire life. Um, I want you to tune in next week. We're going to have Carrie Mori here, who you may know is the entrepreneur for her um, well-known um, Cali's A Little Hot Biscuit um, restaurants, as well as her products for sale in the freezer section of the store. And you also uh, know her from her cookbooks. She has a new one coming out, Little Hot Suppers, that'll be out um, in October. And you can get it for pre-sale on Amazon. I do highly recommend it. Her cookbooks are magnificent. She also has a television show on uh, TV as well, which I'll be mentioning. Um, please tune in next week for Carrie Mori. Until then, happy cooking.